0: Please open your Bibles to Luke, chapter 29 through 19. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 879. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants And went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants, so that they would give him some of the fruits of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them but they feared the people. May God bless to our understanding the reading from his holy word.
1: Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we ask that you would use uh, this your word to make us more fruitful, that um, we would um, honor the Lord Jesus Uh, In every way, as a congregation, we ask in his name, amen. You know, when I stand in the pulpit to preach God's word, I try to be plain spoken, and I try to stick as closely to the text of scripture as I can so that when I make applications or call uh, you to repentance or to obedience, it has God's authority rather than my own. Standing behind God and his word helps me to be more courageous in the pulpit than I would otherwise be. Uh, What courage I might have is derived from God. Uh, Otherwise, I'd be a big scaredy cat. Uh, I must say... I am standing in awe of Jesus's courage as we study this passage. Jesus had vast crowds. There were many thousands of people packed into those courtyards of the temple when Jesus was preaching. And in front of all those people that were listening, these scribes and chief priests and elders uh, had wormed their way in. They were challenging his credentials and authority. And you will remember from last week how Jesus silenced uh, the religious elite. If you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do keep your Bibles open during the sermon, uh, I would ask you to peek up to verses 4 through 8 from last week. Uh, and so... Um, we read Jesus' question to the, um, to the religious leaders. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they, being the religious leaders, discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's not wise to challenge the Lord Jesus face to face. You're going to lose that argument. Uh, Jesus shut these religious leaders, uh, shut their mouths right where they stood. Now, if I was standing in Jesus' shoes I would have been taking a deep sigh of relief. I'd see a great big exit ramp at this point, and I would take it. I'd change the subject. I'd suddenly remember a prior appointment that I had to go to. But Jesus sees this off-ramp where the the religious leaders are are unwilling to speak anymore, and he ignores the off-ramp. After he shut down the religious leaders, causing them to lose face, he told a parable in order to delegitimize their standing and their authority as religious leaders in Israel. Unless you think I'm I'm overstating Jesus' boldness or exaggerating his courage, look down at verse 19 to see how offended the religious leaders had become. And so we read in verse 19, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But of course, they feared the people. Our, our Savior has courage beyond my ability to describe. During Master's Week, uh, on the Saturday before the tee-off, Uh, CBS would often run a series uh, of stories about our nation's Medal of Honor uh, recipients. Uh, Those heroes were incredibly brave uh, because they would plunge into certain death in order to save their buddies or in order to accomplish the mission that was given to them. Um, That is the sort of courage that Jesus is displaying as he stood immovable before all that opposition. He knew that it was going to result in them hating him more and wanting them, uh, causing their determination to grow to put him to death. Uh, Needless to say, most people, if they were in that position, would have wilted. But this is the courage that our Lord Jesus calls us as his followers to imitate. We are not to be milquetoast Christians or to be wallflower followers. Moses told Israel, be strong and courageous. Do not fear in dread of your enemies, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Remember how Paul told Timothy, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Paul also told the Corinthians, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Frankly, I'm afraid that a lot of Christians would lack the courage to quote this verse in our cultural climate uh, for fear of exhibiting too much toxic masculinity, um, Jesus calls his people to follow him courageously, to proclaim his gospel boldly, to trust him fearlessly. Our culture needs more courageous Christians. For the past several generations, the cultural elite have been telling Christians to keep their Christianity inside the church walls uh, for one hour on Sunday mornings, to keep away from the public square. And for the most part, Christians have complied. There are some Christians, however, that invariably in wanting to go out and reach the world, adopt the world's language and values to try and um, help the world to receive their witness. Uh, But I believe that they are working cross-purposes with the purposes of Christ. The only Christians that will change the world are the ones who are willing to stand like Jesus in the face of overwhelming opposition and to stand in the truth to stand for the gospel, uh, and will not waver. Paul told Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What did Jesus say to get these religious leaders so riled at him, so enraged? Um, Well, he told them a parable that has come to be known as the parable of the wicked tenants. The wicked tenants in this parable are the religious leaders. It's an allegorical parable, but its meaning is transparent to everyone. Uh, It was transparent, the meaning was transparent to the crowds. It was transparent to the religious leaders. And we know this because of the reaction of the crowd in verse 16. In verse 16, after Jesus told the parable, uh, he said, uh, that the landowner will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they, the crowd, heard this, they said, surely not. And then we uh, have already seen the, re- the reaction of the religious leaders in verse 19. Um, they sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Essentially, the parable is about a landowner who planted a vineyard, and it was no small project. In Matthew's account of this parable, the landowner not only planted a vineyard, he built a wall wall around the vineyard, he dug a wine press, and he erected a tower in order to guard the vineyards. When Jesus started talking about this vineyard being planted, the crowd, the religious leaders, they would have known that Jesus was speaking allegorically. They would have known that Jesus was talking about uh, God's choosing Israel for his own chosen possession. There are more Old Testament passages than I can mention that identify Israel as God's vineyard. Two of the most prominent. Psalm 80, verses 8 through 16, and uh, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. And I uh, read verse 7 before our pastoral prayer. Even uh, Herod's temple, where Jesus was standing teaching the people, was adorned with a great carving that wove its way around and in and through (coughs) the temple. And this carving was a grapevine. One commentator described this, this, uh, this grapevine that was etched into the walls of the temple by saying it was a richly carved grapevine, 70 cubits high, sculpted around the door that led from the porch to the holy place. The branches, tendrils, and leaves were of finest gold, and the bunches of grapes. Imagine this in your mind's eye. The bunches of grapes hanging upon the golden limbs were costly jewels. In the minds of the Israelites, they associated their national identity with a grapevine. You know, kind of like we do um, with baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet. Um, It was part of their identity And in this parable, God is the landowner who planted Israel. He is looking for the fruits of justice and righteousness. Again, Isaiah 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God entrusted his vineyard. To the religious leaders, to the priest, in order to tend his vineyard. Uh, so that's verse 9 of this parable. But the religious leaders abused their position and only served their selfish, um, their own selfish interest. So then God would send his servants, the prophets, but the religious leaders and the political class abused. All the prophets that God sent to them, verses ten through twelve, and I'll read that again. When uh, from our text, when the time came, He sent a servant. This being understood to be the, God's prophets. He sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one they also wounded and cast out. I'm convinced that uh, Jesus had Jeremiah chapter 7 in mind when he told this parable. And I'll just quote from uh, Jeremiah seven twenty-five and 26, uh, where Jeremiah said, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or inquire, incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Most of the prophets in Israel were indeed ill-treated, and many of them were killed. Uh, I thought about going through the history of the prophets in Israel. That would take a little too much time. So I'll just quote Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, what he said to the Pharisees. And to the scribes, he said, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! "'For you build the tombs of the prophets "'and decorate the monuments of the righteous, "'saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, "'we would not have taken part in them "'with the shedding the blood of the prophets.'" Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of you whom you will kill and crucify, and some whom you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you May come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. God had been so patient with his people, so long-suffering, sending prophet after prophet, seeking justice and righteousness among the people that he had chosen to be his very own possession out of all the nations of the earth. But he found no justice, no righteousness. And the priestly class who were tasked with helping the people seek their God were God's greatest enemies. Now Returning to the parable, Finally, the landowner decided to send his own son, his own beloved son, the son whom he loved like Abraham loved Isaac. And we know the rest of the story. The, the landowner says perhaps they were respecting him. We know what the outcome will be and I always find myself wishing that I could yell into the pages of Scripture at the landowner, hey, you're making a big mistake. Don't send your beloved son. Don't you know that they will kill him? Remember the allegory. The landowner represents God and he does indeed know that they will kill his beloved son. That was the very reason that the Father sent Jesus into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his truly beloved son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the children's sermon, Isaac was ignorant of where The sacrifice would come from. Jesus came into our world knowing full well that he was the Lamb of God who is going to be offered as a sacrifice for sinners. He told his disciples, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. God offered up his Son to die a violent Unjust death at the hands of wicked men in order that you and I might be saved. You believe in him, you will be saved forever. That's why Jesus came. That's why God sent him. You'd think after his people rejected him and killed the prophets as they had done that God would turn his back on the world. Martin Luther said, If I were God and the world had treated me as it treated Jesus, I would kick the wretched thing to pieces. But God did not do that. He did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Come to him now, if you never have. He is a mercy filled Savior. He will welcome you through Jesus Christ. In verse 16, Jesus told the crown that the landowner would destroy the tenants and that he would give the field to others. The meaning is that Jesus would remove the religious ruling class and even the extensive temple sacrifice, uh, temple sacrifice, uh, sacrificial system. And in its place... Jesus would transfer the leadership of his people to the apostles of the church and that the gospel would go out to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And this is the pattern we see as we turn to the book of Acts. And the crowd must have understood at least the general thought thrust of Jesus' statement because they cried out in verse 17 or verse uh, 16, surely not. In verse 17 it says that Jesus looked directly at them. He fearlessly looked directly at the crowd with a penetrating eye contact that must have made them feel uneasy. And he quoted Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, there's a story that came down through um, the, the history of Israel, but it didn't come down through the Scriptures. The scribes wrote it, um, and uh, it, has, it's, it passed down through and the story is this, that when Solomon built the original temple, they would shape the, um, the, the, the giant uh, stones there at the quarry uh, the way the architects intended for the stones to be shaped. And so they uh, cut this one great stone. They sent it to to uh, the temple site to be put in place, and it, what, it would not fit and so they took the stone and moved it set it off to the side and had um had forgotten about it later however they realized it would serve perfectly as the cornerstone and so we we believe that this is the the background to this statement here in uh Psalm 118 and Jesus applied this verse in Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He applied it to himself. When the, he was saying when the religious leaders rejected him, when they, as he knew was going to happen, put him on the cross and killed him, they were rejecting the Messiah. But Jesus also knew that when he rose from the dead in glory, He would become the cornerstone of resurrection life. Many people stumble upon the Lord Jesus. As I alluded to last week, the the root or foundation of their stumbling is not, first of all, intellectually in most cases, but rather moral, because they don't want to submit to the Lord Jesus or trust in Him. They love their own life, They love their own sense of control of their life too much. But Jesus says all who reject him will be crushed. Again, um, verse 18, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. But for those who entrust themselves to Jesus Christ... He is the solid rock upon which we can build our confidence. He will, he will withstand the gale force winds of the storms of life. He will hold us firm in his life. 1 Peter 2, verse 6 Behold, I am laying in, stone a, a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will will not be put to shame. Neither death nor life, the Apostle Paul tells us, nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, width or breadth, nothing under all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, you can face the difficulties of life And stand firm in Him because He is your cornerstone. In Christ, you can face temptations that feel like tidal waves upon tidal waves breaking down upon you. And you can obey God through them because He is your cornerstone. In Christ, you can face death with confidence because He is Your cornerstone in Christ, you are unshakable. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Though your own people thought him to be unfit and rejected him, he came to his own and his own rejected him. They knew him not. He was the perfect cornerstone, the perfect Savior, the only Messiah. Lord, I pray for all who are within the sound of my voice who do not know you. I pray that they would trust in Jesus Christ because we know that those who stumble upon him will be broken to pieces. Lord, I pray for your people who rest in Jesus Christ. Help them to it uh, down their faith upon Him. He is the sure anchor, the anchor that holds our foundation, the rock upon which we build our spiritual hopes. We pray in His name. Amen.